Welcome to episode 16 of the Passionate Purpose Podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. It's an opportunity for men and women to tell their stories, their way, and in their own words. I'm Greg Gerber, the founder of Forward from 50, and your host for today's show. Today I'm featuring a woman who is a resident of the United Kingdom, who discovered how to reawaken long-dormant dreams, not only for her career, but for her heart as well. Born in Lancaster, England, and now living in Yorkshire, Jill Bentham went into nursing directly out of high school. She loved the whole idea of being involved with people, especially one-on-one. Jill's parents were supportive of her career decision, although her art teacher was extremely unhappy when she chose that path rather than following her dream of becoming an artist. As her career progressed, Jill focused on palliative care in a hospice environment. She became a lecturer teaching medical professionals about end-of-life issues and how they can better control a patient's pain by managing symptoms. However, Jill wasn't doing much to sustain her own personal growth to the point she felt nourished and refreshed. Art had always done that for her when Jill was younger, and so did journaling. Over the years, her writing skills improved to the point she started writing about a common theme in her life, frustration. Jill's frustration stemmed from having suppressed her creative energy and agreeing with others that she needed to pursue nursing rather than becoming an artist. After turning 43, Jill's life took an unexpected turn. She went through a messy divorce and lost her ministry after a flood ruined her church. It took Jill almost eight years to recover from the pain of all that happened before she could embrace life again. To explain what she did to recover her passion and her heart after turning 50, please welcome Jill Bentham to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Jill. I really appreciate your time. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're from? Sure, Greg. Thank you for having me. It's a real privilege and I'm excited to talk to you today about life after 50. I'm from England in the UK. Have you heard of Yorkshire? I have not. (laughs) Yorkshire is the biggest county in England and it's a very beautiful county. Traditionally, there was a famous war between the House of Lancaster and the House of York. So having been born in Lancashire on the other side of the Pennines, which is a row of hills between, well, down the spine of the country, I've given up on my Lancashire roots and gone over to the other side. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. And so what do you do for a living? My profession is nursing. So I, I went straight into nursing from my high school as an undergraduate nurse. And that was a four year course in a city in the north. Loved the whole aspect of involvement with people. I'm naturally an introvert. I have a real affinity with people, certainly on a one-to-one level and in listening and communicating. So I think nursing came to me very much as a romantic idea for my childhood that came from having had my tonsils removed as a young child. And it never really got shaken out of me, despite a love of art and a creative flair. My art teacher was extremely unhappy with me when I said I was going to be a nurse. So that's the other side of things. For me, there's been a journey that I have constantly wondered whether or not I should have followed my dream to be an artist instead of the more sensible thing, which my parents have definitely approved of. Most of my career in nursing has been palliative care. And hospice was the environment, hospice being an inpatient unit in our culture. There is home care. Most of what I've done has been inpatient symptom control and pain relief. And I also exercise my love of education. 
by becoming a lecturer in palliative care for one of the universities. So that was a role which straddled practice and theory. And it was beautiful because I could be talking to an elderly lady on their death's door the night before, and I could be in the classroom the next morning helping student nurses understand the power of spending enough time with somebody who really only needed a bit of human attention. I agree. Yeah, it was very interesting, that role, because it it was pressurised, accountable to two organisations at once and lots of different pressing needs. But certainly in my, I would say the height of my career, that was what I felt I really wanted to do. But as a Christian, I also had a long desire, long held desire to help people learn, grow and flourish as Christians. And that was, again, my educational bent. So I'd always been involved in helping people learn from being a teenager, teacher of kindergarten in church to all the way through to leading Bible studies and supporting people through discipleship materials, curriculum, that kind of thing. So very much creative affinity coming out in designing and developing learning materials and learning experiences. And uh, both of those things came together in a way through nursing and through my work with God. And then I focused on pastoring and can say it was very, it was exceptional in some ways and it was disastrous in others. So I was a pastor part-time, then full-time, having walked away from nursing, thinking that I had to do that to sacrifice my career because it needed my full attention to be in ministry. What I didn't realize or understand at the time was that as a mother of two children and wife of a guy who, I didn't know this, but now I have the language for it, was a narcissist. There was, I would say, a constant challenge to make things work. And so everything more or less felt sabotaged and undermined. And the best intentions just never came to fruition. So I developed this real passion for helping people to be fulfilled and to find out what really made them tick, to understand their gifting, to understand their challenges, their weaknesses, how to collaborate with one another. Because when we lend our strength to someone else in one area, they're weak. They help, they're helped and vice versa. All of this really goes to say that I have a real passion for people who have a heart to grow, to learn, and to make sense of their mistakes and to have a second chance, really. That's great. I would imagine as a hospice nurse, that's got to be very stressful and sad situation at times, but also very rewarding because you can talk to people when they're most vulnerable and they have a lot of questions or regrets and you can listen to them and help them process this final moment, these final moments of their lives. Yes. yes, it is rewarding, but I'd say more stressful to be on our typical acute medical ward in and amongst all the pressures of admissions and curative care, and very sadly be overlooked in mm-hmm. the middle of all that. So to be able to set it aside and do it was a real honor. That's great. Do you have any hobbies that you pursue to alleviate that? I have to be honest that I fell into a trap that many 30-somethings fall into, which is 
doing too much and not not sustaining my own personal growth to the point that I felt nourished and refreshed by certain things. But if I had to put my finger on it, it would be art, it would be reading and writing. And I journal. So the journaling has stuck out as the number one thing that has been there for me and served me right the way through my life since I was about eight. Wow. I had been, my 11th grade English teacher had encouraged me to start a journal, but I was discouraged from doing that by some family members who, because boys didn't keep diaries kind of thing. And I really wish I had pursued that. It'd be so much fun to go back and read what I was thinking about or experiencing decades ago. That would be neat. It is. It's an absolute treasure trove. And I'm sorry that happened. It's never too late to start. Oh, I've been doing it for years. Yes. <laughs> good, mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it's delightful to see how you have grown when you look back. Does it help you process information when you're yeah. channeling? Yeah. Okay. In fact, I'd say that there was, for some time, I, I'll talk about my journey with journaling because I, I invested so much time in it that it almost became obsessional. And I had to come to a point, I think, where I felt God was saying to me, are you prepared to stop doing this? Are you prepared to trust me with your memories? Are you able to do what C.S. Lewis did and say, God's perspective of your life is more important than what you think about your life? So I said, okay, about 18 years old, I stopped. It was a real struggle, but I let it go. And for a few years, I simply had notes or jottings and lists and things that perhaps I prayed about that had been answered, nothing in depth. And he brought it back to me and he gave me the chance to resurrect it with a completely different slant, which was much more interesting. It was about spiritual formation. It was much more about processing and reflecting and making sense of life and of people and experiences. Whereas the earlier stuff is much more routine accounts of things I had done or eaten or people I'd seen. So yes, it became more valuable for having laid it down. Okay. So it wasn't just a, I woke up today and I had this for breakfast <laughs> and I went here. It was and as a youngster. As a yeah. youngster and as a young teen or whatever. Yeah. But now it's more about this happened today and from this, I learned this, or I believe when I reflect on this makes me think something else. And I think from years of analysis and reflection, one begins to be quite perceptive and future orientated, able to critique the themes and the trends that are happening in our world as we've got so many shifts going on at the moment. I can honestly say that when COVID hit, In England, um, we went into lockdown fairly early on. And I realized this is going to really cut across most people's idea of what life is. This is going to be such a challenge. I was in my element, an introvert, made to sit at home and read and write (laughs) (laughs) and work from home. It was bliss, but obviously I'm not discounting the traumas that have come people's way and without those sort of tools to process, I'm really not sure how they've managed it. Okay. But you, through all of this, that's how you maintained yourself. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. It's been fascinating. Been living through a societal shift on a level that we've never seen before. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So before you turned 50, what was one thing that you were really most proud of accomplishing in your life? Okay. Just before I turned 15, it was a goal as it became more apparent that it might be possible toward being becoming 50. I wanted to write my first book. And I was able to do that just about in time, about six months ahead of that. So that was a real accomplishment. Um, it was a book, although I had written most of another book. This was my first book, which came together over about four months' time. Because I think the book that I had already started writing was too, it was too involved. It was too close to home. It was not yet mature enough to be let out into the world. But my first book, which I obviously had started and finished within a very short time frame, was all about frustration. And I realized it's a theme that goes back all the way through my life. Coming to terms with frustration and embracing it as a friend. Because I realized that it, it was really, it was a sign that creative flow had been suppressed. And that for whatever reason, agreeing with other people's ideas of what was the best way forward, being a nurse rather than an artist, I had gone along with that. And so I found that writing about people I admired who had broken the mold, who created something for the sake of it, or just because they were good at it, was, it was an amazing story. And I peppered my account through the metaphor of a tangled ball of wool that had become knotted and matted and no longer represented its beauty and its potential. And the crafting metaphor went right through the book. And I peppered it with every chapter there was someone who was a hero in my eyes, a historical figure or maybe even a fairy tale figure. I wanted it to speak to people who didn't necessarily have any biblical knowledge or maybe hadn't understood the ideas of a God who created them, loved them, and made them to be people who had a destiny, a future. A purpose. And I wanted them to get hold of that without necessarily the baggage of not accepting a Christian stance. So whilst I owned that, I didn't make it the main thing. And so Disentangling Genius was all about helping people to see their unique genius, to understand that we were all born with that and that we must make it our aim to go back and maybe untangle all the knots and discover that inner childish passion or vision for something that perhaps has got lost along the way. And yes, that, that was a really quirky, fun book to write with lots of fictional conversations with historical figures who, who should I say oh there was a scientist called Farrow I had figures like Florence Nightingale in my book and imagine what it was like to be walking alongside them and experiencing life through their eyes so that was my first book and it was and, fun to do and that book's title was Disentangling Genius Disentangling Genius that's neat yes very good yeah so it's fictional but has some sort of non-fictional elements to it. It's, as well. I call it a self-help, a self-help book with a quirky fantasy <laughs> element. <laughs> okay, very good. And so you did that before you turned fifty. I did. But yes. then, after you turned fifty, has something come about that's really invigorated you and given you a sense of purpose in a different direction? 
Yes, and you may not be expecting me to say this, but I did have a messy divorce. I lost my ministry. The church went underwater and flooded, and it was the last straw. Not just a simple thing that we couldn't deal with, but it was the last straw of a long chain of challenges and fights over everything I stood for that eventually I just laid down and said, okay, <laughs> this isn't working. And what I will say to your listeners Whatever their views on marriage, I've always stood by this. I know that I felt God say to me, you are more precious than the institution of marriage. And I don't know what that does to people who haven't been in that position of fear, eggshell walking and all the rest of it. But I felt I was being given permission to say to myself and my children, we, we'd be better saying that this is a very poor example of a marriage and, only, and then give, us, give up ourselves a second chance to do this. And for many years after that, I was their mom. I was working hard. I was keeping a low profile career just to make sure that they could have someone around for them. And I lived a bit of a walk of shame, really having had very lofty goals in my earlier adulthood, just getting on with all of those ordinary things to get my kids into being well-adjusted adults who had a chance of loving God. And so by the time I'd been single about seven or eight years, I was beginning to come round and I said to God, okay, I'm still early 50s. I'm very early 50s. If there is any other opportunity for a happy marriage, for a real example of how it should be, I'm open to that. I don't really know how to do that. It's 30 years since I dated. I have responsibilities. I don't want to make a spectacle of myself in any way. And I trust you. I trust you. But I also believe we have a responsibility to welcome change and to create an intention in our heart and to maybe put certain things in place that might make opportunities come our way more likely than if we simply stuck our head in the sand. I and my friend, we agreed together that we would pray for one another, we would stand together, we would be positive about those prospects for one another. And I started to date. I knew that I'd never meet anybody beyond my immediate circle. Unless I actually tried something radical called dating online. <laughs> and um, as a Christian, I weighed all that up and said, Lord, I'll put out there a very honest summary of who I am and what I think I'm looking for and why. And that way, we'll both be really clear from day one about what's expected and what's not acceptable. So I did that and can tell you there were some hair-raising approaches, which I never entertained, <laughs> but it was very obvious that by having said, this is what I am, this is what I'm looking for, 99% of all those rabbit holes were just taken away. That's yeah, I was very straight. And it was amusing because what actually happened was I had some amazing conversations with guys who I would never have dated and knew that perfectly well, but wanted to know about my faith, wanted to know why would I put that out there? Why would I say that? Why would I cut my losses? So that was an interesting 
era. That's <laughs> I was a little dating evangelist. <laughs> yeah, dating evangelist. So people would read your profile and yeah. then question yeah. you as to yeah. why you would say that, why your faith was mm-hmm. so important that you were willing yeah. to already eliminate a wide swath yes. of people. And yes. that would be a very interesting conversation to have. with. It was you. so liberating. I'm sure you in our, in our culture, perhaps even increasingly in yours now, there is less and less receptivity to talk about your faith. Right. Um, so, so political correctness or, or worrying about offending somebody's perspective or sense of truth or reality. So to be in that position was so unique. I'd never felt like that before. That was amazing. And, I, and it all the more gave me the sense that this was just for a time, but it was definitely something to enjoy and it was definitely something to capitalize on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd encourage anyone that knows strongly who they are and what they stand for not to be shy of using modern methods uh, as long as they feel that they've taken care of this personal safety and all the rest of it. So I had a number of dates. I had one four-month relationship with someone who was a good friend but didn't really seem romantically uh, long-term an, op- uh, an option for us and then and then I saw a profile that just for some reason I thought I know you I've seen you before somewhere and this is an incredible story because it turned out that Phil who is now my husband of three and a bit years he had lived in the university city I was in all his life and a few years older than me, we had just about missed meeting each other numerous times in our 20s. We had been to the same children's parks, Christian meetings. We knew the same people. We'd been in the Christian bookshop. bookshop. We remembered days. We remembered visiting speakers. We had both worked in the hospital. I'd been the nurse. He was in the sterile supplies department. We think that God one day will show us a video of where we crossed paths, where we actually maybe spoke to one another as young people. That's funny. I lived opposite his sister as a young woman. We were literally across one side of a park from each other in our lives, but never knew each other. If you've seen the film Sliding Doors, that, that sort of, Reminds you a little bit of what was going on there. Believe we have memories of share. We have sim. Sorry, we have individual memories of the same people, but from different angles. I went to his grandmother's house for dinner with the people who moved into it after his grandmother died. There's so many strange oh my God incidences. I just can't understand why we never met then. And that would be a big question for God. But but we, here we are. We met online a lot later than maybe we should have done if we'd been listening a bit more carefully at the time, maybe. But yeah, I have a man who cherishes me. I have now a tiny bit more financial freedom that I'm able to spend on my pursuits. He's built me what I call a war room, which is for prayer, but also creativity. It's a shed in the garden, but it's got everything in it that inspires me and that allows me to pursue the creative flow that I wrote about in Disentangling Genius. 
And here's another amazing story. If you've got time for one Absolutely. More. Yeah. I, my second book, as this, it's called, it's all about a metaphor of the canal journey of life. A little bit like a 21st century pilgrim's progress, but that on the canal. And the journey is a waterway journey from, from one end of life to the other. And it's written from my perspective as if I was 89, talking to my great-grandchild, my great-granddaughter, and helping her to learn all the lessons of life that I have learned from through the analogy of the narrowboat going through all the different locks and learning to trust the flow and the gradient and the mechanism of the locks, which is all a metaphor for God's provision. So there was I, having written the script, the manuscript for this second book, meeting Phil, who had a life-saving, tucked away for a narrowboat cruise of his dreams with no one to go with on this cruise. And... Um, what happened was that we tied in his desire to have a canal boat holiday with my book launch that was filmed and we followed the social media journey all the way through the 100-mile canal circuit on our two-week cruise together the year after we got married. And yeah, we even did the live launch from the canal boat. It was just incredible. I would never have afforded something like that or something so distinctive. He would have never gone on that trip without meeting me. And I just marvel at what God does when you actually open yourself to the possibilities and not be religious or narrow-minded about what second half of life really looks like. And I say all this, I still have my issues. I still have joint pains and issues like (laughs) that come along when we get to this age. have joy, optimism, a horizon instead of past backward looking. It is just phenomenal. And I can honestly say my children sometimes look at me and think, wow, you're really cool, mom. You're really (laughs) interesting. Oh, that's neat. (laughs) I love the story about how you and Phil crossed paths so many times in your life. But, and then you wondered if maybe you should have done it earlier, but I, you know, I think God's timing is absolutely perfect. You still had some things you had to work out and yes. the healing had to take place. Yeah. Had, and Bill is just having to get his life in order and then bingo. Mm-hmm. Great yeah, time absolutely. at the exact right moment you guys met. And it's, that's a neat story. So you found love after 50. And then he built yes. you a war room. I love this idea, a special yeah. shed or room in the mm. house, in your case, it was a shed for you to pursue your creative pursuits. And these are yeah. things that you had felt a calling to very early in life, but yes. as happens so many times, parents and relatives encouraged you to pursue the more practical thing yes. that will bring you money and all that other kind of stuff. Not what necessarily what you were created to do, although you appear to be very successful in your career in being in the right place at the right time with the right skills for the right people. But now that you're over 50, you have an opportunity to pursue more of those creative artistic things. And what are you doing to do that? I will continue to write. I love writing. I journal and continue that. And more and more, I see 
a, a theme, which I'm sure you've heard before, of convergence of things I have done, things that I have experienced and beliefs and intuitive sense of, senses of how life should be coming together in a way that has taken this long to really come to fruition. And I'd agree with you. I wasn't in my ideal career. I felt like a square peg in a round hole. However, being a nurse and being an empathic person has taught me a lot about love. I'm able to love people and I have a reason for doing all this. It's not about a selfish pursuit of self-actualization. It's about being able to make people think, stop them in the tracks, get them to be honest with themselves, stimulate them to dig out the dreams and visions that have become so rusty and dry. And I think when you asked about something happening after 50 that was significant, I can point to the book just before I was 50, my first book. I can point to meeting Phil. But I think that the real, really big one is that before around 50, I lived I lived for my destiny. I was obsessed with not missing the mark and not missing why I was here. And with all, for all the right reasons, we are taught to make the most of every day and honor, honor him with our wealth and just really be industrious. And yet it was always about my destiny, which is so important, but I think I got the angle wrong somehow. And then after 50 and after brokenness and after failure and after facing being ostracized, scandalized, just look, looked through as if I was invisible for a period of time until God justified me. It then became about my legacy rather than my destiny. And that, I think that's those are the two halves of my life. I've always been... So very conscientious, even from being at school, because it was only about doing well and performing and being good and being the best and getting approval. But then after that, it was, it merged into becoming the best for God, but it still had that, it still had that wrong feel about it. Once I'd lost everything and then had to surrender and come back in his strength, in his power, then it was about what can I leave? What can I give? What difference can I make? That's an excellent point. I think so many of us in our early careers, it's about our glory. We're pursuing our fame, our fortune, our reputation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we do everything for us. And then at some point we make that switch. There's a little switch that goes off inside and it no longer becomes about us. We could care less what other people think about us and what we're doing and what we're thinking about, et cetera. And we start acting yeah. to pursue that legacy, like you say. That, That's you right. Know, That's uh, right. What can we do for God rather than what can God do for me? Absolutely. That's neat. That's neat. So the one now thing, the thing that I can now say that I am giving the rest of my life to is uh, working I'll finish my career and I'll leave nursing as soon as it's practical to do. But the big goal is to create a game and I'm beginning to collaborate and meet people and network and 
engage with potential investors, young people, and inspiring them to think, what can we give your children, your young people who now haven't even yet had their babies, need a medium for their children to be able to access the truths of the Bible? Because we are not a culture of readers anymore. And young people do not have access, not because there's a lack of Bibles, but the Bible in Amos, it does say there is going to be a famine for the word of God. Mm. Not because we haven't got Bibles on our shelves or in the libraries or online, but because we can't make those things palatable to the next generation unless we find a new medium for them to experience the principles, the teachings, the character formation. And so I have decided, and this has been simmering for five, year, five years or so, and it is now in, in the project stage, to design a game. And it will be one of many, I hope, to help people to engage in exciting, character-forming, immersive games where they who do not have a clue about the word of God and his love for them, the way that one grows into the image of Christ, will be able to experience challenges, setbacks, character formation within the game and get feedback that rewards qualities like humility and generosity rather than sabotage. This is neat. So this will be a board game? Or is it an electronic no, game? No, it could be a video game. A video a game. Okay. Yes. Very good. And who are you yeah. targeting this for? Is it people of all ages? This will, no, this will be for the alpha generation. Okay. So we have the Gen Zs now just beginning to start what their working lives or going to college. And it will be their children. And they're the ones who are. to get ready. Yes. They're the ones who have a lot of questions. Is really, yeah. is this the, what Absolutely. life is all about and things like that? Yeah. And so yeah. getting get yeah. them to understand and pursue what life is all about, that's it. At an early stage yeah. in their life, will help them Absolutely. avoid a lot of trouble. Yes, that's sure. great. A big believer in second, second-hand lessons, second-hand life lessons, if possible. The I'm best sure lessons. Said that. Absolutely, yeah. because the other ones are too painful. So if you can learn from somebody else's <laughs> mistakes without having yeah. to learn that from your own pain, yes, that's a plus. So that's a yeah. really good idea. When do you expect this game to be? We will probably not see this for about five years. Okay. It's a huge undertaking. It is. It is. And it will be a staged release, though there will always be new iterations of it. But the game itself will be called Iteration because it will be based on cyclical flow of God, his grace, his kindness, his reinvention of us month in, year in, year out. That's neat. I wish you the best of luck as you pursue Thank that. You. Do you ever see yourself retiring or how would you define retirement? Never. No, I don't see myself retiring. I really do not identify with that. I've seen people come towards their 65th birthday, desperate to leave, counting down the days. But I think you and I both know somebody common called Carrie Oberbrunner, who has explained very clearly from an English philosopher's perspective that work and play are no different to each other when you're in the sweet spot at what you're really good at. Exactly. So that's really where I'll be staying. That's good. 
That's good. So what kind of advice would you give to people over the age of 50 to help them either identify or pursue their passions? I would say, what do you think you may have left behind that you wished you'd pursued? And what's stopping you from going back and pursuing it now? Genuinely make plans to make that possible. Don't discount it out of hand. Even if it's something that's physically difficult now because you're older, is there a version of it that would still be as rewarding? That's so, a good point. Yeah. So if you were all, yeah. if you had dreamed of being an, on adventures and you're too mm. old to re- be able to do it physically, certainly yeah. you can help other people plan theirs, yeah, that's, that type of thing. Exactly. That's, that's a, an example. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Very good. Um, yeah. Well, go on, head. Go what, ahead. What you're saying is that so many of us realize that we had left behind things and we, yeah. we constantly have this regret in our mind that woulda, shoulda, couldas, and imagining what our life would have played out had we done this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I do that myself. I was a gifted writer as a teenager and was discouraged from going into mm-hmm. that kind of giftedness. I utilized the skill throughout my entire career, but. Mm-hmm. As I get older, I realize, I think, what would my life had been if I had pursued any of these dozens of book Mm. titles that I had in my mind, that Mm. type of thing. But now, when you're over 50, you generally have the money available and certainly a little bit more time. You don't have the the childcare responsibilities that kind of keep Mm. us bogged into that quicksand that prevents us from moving forward. Absolutely. But now you can get out and actually do that. So. You know, this thing that has been burning inside of you, and it may, even if it's a smoldering wick right now, mm, can mm. be revived into a wildfire and yeah. really give you a passion for the second half of your life. Absolutely. That's yeah. neat. That's great. So, yeah, go for it, guys. Whoever's listening. Thank you, Jill. I really appreciate the time. It's been uh, fun getting to know you, and I wish you the best of luck as you pursue your writing career and uh, you develop your relationship with Phil and you start work on this big gaming project. That sounds like an exciting, exciting project for the years ahead. You'll keep me on the ball. Definitely. Jill Bentham was spot on in describing her feelings of frustration. I think many of us experience that when we abandon what we're naturally inclined to pursue for more practical vocations at the urging of well-meaning friends and relatives. Fortunately, Jill realized she had a responsibility to welcome change and to put certain things in place to create more opportunities than she could by simply sticking her head in the sand. I loved her story about when she decided to open her heart to the possibility of being in love once again. Jill met a wonderful man who was literally just down the block for most of her life. I've heard it said that God often hides things from us only to give them to us later when we're ready to receive them. That appears to be what happened to Jill. She offered some outstanding advice when she noted people don't have to be narrow-minded about what the second half of their life looks like. Even with the typical issues and struggles with which people over 50 have to contend, they can find joy and optimism on the horizon instead of just looking backward with regret. Today, Jill wants to make people stop in their tracks, be honest with themselves, and dig out those dreams and visions which have become dry and rusty. Today, she is more focused on her legacy rather than her destiny. Her life became more focused on what she can give and leave for others and the difference she can make in their lives. Whatever you've wanted to do, even if it's something physically difficult to do now that you're older, Jill insists there is a version of your earlier dream that you can still pursue and it will be very rewarding. 
to connect with Jill, visit www.jillbentham.com. That's G-I-L-L-B-E-N-T-H-A-M.com. That's all I have for this week's show. If you'd like help in identifying a purpose for your life or to get help planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming session to members of the Forward from 50 Facebook community. For opportunities, connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Passionate Purpose Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review wherever you download the episodes.